0: Welcome Welcome back back to The Downlore. I am Natalie. I'm Claudia. And we're here to check in. First
1: and foremost, like, how's everybody doing? How's the Flame and Shadow hangover? Like, are we okay? How are we feeling? How are we readjusting to normal life? It's a
0: rhetorical question, of course, because we can't hear you.
1: We're going to tell you how we're doing, and hopefully it resonates with some of you, because I don't know about you, Nat. it It was a very intense emotional hangover for me.
0: I think just because the ending was so, eh, (laughs) that, like, it didn't didn't hit me in the way that I was anticipating. Like, everybody made it out. Not- I don't want to say unscathed, because they certainly were scathed throughout the book, but everyone was chilling at the end, the bad guy was defeated, and- is are back bitch. So right.
1: How like, can I complain? We had a happy for now with basically everybody in true SJM fashion like everyone survived that we loved. And
0: listen we love for that. the most
1: part. But it's not gonna leave me reeling you know. Right. I think I think it's more so the withdrawals from being so engulfed by the world like you all know like we took time specifically like blocked off the calendar like I literally told people not to talk to me for three days and my friends respected that like people texted me three days later and were like can we talk to you again and I was like thank you for respecting my privacy at this time however I cannot control my emotions at the moment because I feel like coming back out into the real world I missed the story I missed being in it for a while after I finished I think for me, the biggest hangover and the biggest withdrawal from like a set of characters that I had, you're right, it wasn't Bryce and Hunt. Like I was pretty fine with where their story ended up and we'd been with them for three books. Like that was a lot of time for their relationship and their story to progress and get where it is. I am sad to be leaving Rune and Lydia. I think they really were everything in House of Flame and Shadow and we really only got like a book and a half with them because if you count a little bit of Sky and Breath where they didn't fully know each other's identities... Like, I just, I just need more of them.
0: I honestly think that they kind of saved this book at times because, I mean, a lot of the discourse online that I've seen following people reading it and the release is that Therion and Ethan's plot lines, I'm not going to disagree with anyone and say that they're riveting. Um, They were definitely left a little to be desired. I don't think either of those characters has been fleshed out. They're not complex. They are... They make decisions that make no sense at times for no reason. Yeah. And it's not like it's something that's been made abundantly clear that it's like in their personality to make some rogue choice or that they have some superior moral backbone. They just kind of freestyled a little and in a way that wasn't entirely interesting or gripping.
1: Right. And I think like with Akitar, we came out of that series and then we got Nesta's off Like, Everyone, even reading the trilogy, like, the main trilogy, was, like, intrigued by Nesta. I don't think anyone is intrigued by Therion or Ethan at the moment. Mm-mm.
0: Like, even people who... It, this The thing about a character like Nesta is she's very polarizing. There's people that love her a lot and there's people that hate her. I don't think anyone hates her really that much after reading Silver Flames. But at least everyone has a strong emotion about her because she... You get who she is and you have time to see her from... Someone else's point of view throughout the original trilogy to give you kind of an idea of what to expect with her. Whereas here it's like they just aren't that complex of characters. Like either of them could make the same decision that the other one made and it wouldn't really make a difference. Right.
1: It wouldn't be out of character because they barely have distinguishable characters.
0: Exactly. So I think that's a lot of people's big gripe with the book. I agree. Another gripe that I've seen that I disagree with strongly. Is that Hunt is Boring? Yeah, no. Hunt is Boring. No. I'm sorry. Did we not watch him sit in a dungeon watching his friend's hand get chewed off? Did we not watch him, you know, grapple with his heritage? Did we not watch him grapple with the, the loss of his lover and being enslaved?
1: I think this is the first time in an SJM book where we have seen on page written in such extensive detail, perhaps too much extensive detail because, like, that hurt really bad to see him in the dungeons. Like, seeing someone's trauma, especially in the male main character. Like, we know Rhysand and Rowan have been through some shit, but it's never, we're never in that moment with them. We're not in the bedroom with Amarantha and Rhys ever. It's alluded to, obviously. And, like, all of the stuff that he did during previous wars, it's all alluded, like, he tells the stories, but we're not in it with him. This is the first time where Sarah has shown us on page in the middle of the plot how her male main character is shaped by the trauma he, like, comes out of this, like, difficult situation having to endure. And his way of processing it is just to, like, he needs to sit with it for a little bit. And if that means that he's a little bit boring, I don't think that's boring. I think that's just him processing trauma. And he says as much when the princes of hell are like you can take that tattoo off your off your head (laughs) and he's like okay i can but i'm not gonna do it right now because like i need a minute he just he just needs a minute
0: he needs a minute and i think that's extremely normal and human and could be a reason why some readers aren't as into hunt obviously being an an angel who kills people for a living isn't normal in the real world but in terms of his personality and watching him actually have struggles, yeah, that's the most. He's one of the most human love interests that we get from Sarah J. Maas. and personally, I really appreciate that about him because it shows that he's can be vulnerable even when he's this like big bad scary guy. Risan's only vulnerability ever is if Feyre is in danger. Same with, I mean, Rowan's only vulnerability that I've seen so far is when Aelin is in danger. Yeah. And, you know, they've had hundreds of years to process whatever trauma they went through before meeting their love interest. Whereas Hunt is processing it in real time alongside Bryce. Yeah. And I think that makes their relationship and his character more interesting.
1: So meanwhile, we have Bryce and like public opinion on Bryce coming out of House of Flame and Shadow is that she's just overly reckless for no reason. She was a little snarkier maybe than she should have been. Um, especially with Hunt. Like, she was a little snippy with him a few times. Like, they had some arguments. This is par for the course with Bryce. Like, she is like this. She might be a little bit more reckless than usual. She might not tell people her plans when she should, but she was going to do all this stuff anyway. Like, we should have been prepared for this coming from her, honestly.
0: I mean, it's not like the recklessness was out of the blue. She's been doing insane stuff from day one. And I agree with the take of, like, Bryce is unnecessarily reckless and endangers herself and endangers the tertiary cast regularly when she doesn't (laughs) necessarily need to need to but for the plot a lot of it is moved forward by the reckless decisions that bryce makes and i think this is a great segue into um our main topic for today which is the cruel prince series the folk of the air series and holly black's first adult novel which is book of night these kinds of stories you have to a little bit suspend your disbelief a lot bit sarah j mass holly black you know any high fantasy series i think a lot of people don't want to get into that because they think it's silly babe it is
1: that's the point
0: literally the whole point it is silly yeah none of this happens in the real world that's half of the fun of it Part of me thinks like people just want to hate. People just don't want to have fun anymore.
1: I'm convinced that people who say like reading is stupid or like reading fiction is like silly or frivolous. They're not reading fiction because if they were, they would realize. It's for funsies, babe. Like the real world is what it is. Everybody's reality is different. We're all dealing with the news wherever you live. Like that's going to be different. You know, your news is going to be different depending on what's going on in your part of the world. That doesn't stop us from, like, appreciating a good little moment to, like, remove yourself from reality and have a little bit of escapism in order to then, like, come back to the real world and deal with it with a little bit of, you know, having had a little bit of relief.
0: I listened to a podcast that came out last week from Today Explained, which is one of my favorite podcasts, and it was entitled Why America is Obsessed with Fairy Smut, and I think it does a good job kind of covering the bases of Exactly what we're saying. Like, mm-hmm. this world is a dark place for many people, especially women. And sometimes we just need to dive into the pages of a fake world and escape for a moment before we can return to facing reality. Because, and, and that's not to say that men don't need that too. And not to say that men can't escape into these books. A lot of the comments that I get and the hesitation that a lot of these straight men in my life have to reading these books or talking about them is the the smut aspect but what they don't realize is that smut actually only appears on about five percent of all pages or less in these books yeah the books in front of us there is zero smut not a single smut scene the folk of the air is ya smut free and book of night is also smut free
1: book of night is like fate to black like between fate to black closed door like there's romance but there's not smut in any of these and even Acatar, like to Natalie's point five percent or less of each book in the Court of Thorns and Roses uh series is actual smut and so I think calling the series fairy smut actually does it a bit of a disservice because it's not a fairy smut series it
0: is a high fantasy epic series I don't see how you could watch Game of Thrones and be into it and then think that Acatar is dumb because they're in my mind on similar playing fields they both have this grandiose epic scope warring factions and warring families and powers and mythical beings and all, all of that kind of stuff and i think it's literally just the fact that akatar has a predominantly female audience does have a few smut scenes throughout sprinkled throughout quite literally like there's two, maybe, in Mist and Fury. There's one in the first book. And it's, yeah,
1: and a couple in Wings and Ruin. And then it, like, even Silver Flames, which everyone is like, that's the one that's the hottest. It's still only, like, 5% of the, of that the pages. That book is way more about female friendship than it's about a man. Amen. So, it's, these are epic fantasies with a sprinkle.
0: It's a sprinkle literally the smut. The difference is the sprinkle of smut and the aesthetic of the covers of the books being like pretty colors yeah and the fact that women like them whereas game of thrones is more of a like dark same with lord of the rings they have like a, a gray cast over them it's supposed to be like dark and feels more masculine for some reason but it's the same kind of shit like it frustrates me to no end that people will see something that women like and immediately discount it as Oh, this lit. is silly this is stupid this is just silly fairy smut and it is and it is but you can't tell me that akatar is silly and then think that game of thrones is not also silly it's all silly it's all silly it's all and that's silly. the point that is the point bring back people having fun yeah <laughs> and all of you obviously like if you're listening to this chances are you've read these books and you've read akatar and all of that and you enjoy a good literary escapism moment mm-hmm. and having a good time Natalie and I have been like seeing
1: this in comments on, you know, Instagram, various other social media platforms where people just completely shit on the quality of the writing, the content of the plots. It's like, this is not news to us. We did not come here thinking we were going to get William Shakespeare in a literary device every two lines. This is not iambic pentameter. We're not here for the rhymes. We're not here for the and any of it.
0: Not everyone is Samantha Shannon. Not everyone is going to write and build the most beautifully crafted, well-researched world with poetic prose in every sentence. Like, you know, Sarah J. Mass uses the word alpha hole on many of her pages. Yeah, she We uses, know
1: it's silly. She <laughs> overuses the word mate like 272 times. Someone did a counter and it's up there for it's, sure. That's honestly not an exaggeration. In one book, in one of her books- all that to say, go home, have some open, honest conversations with the men in your life and let them know. Fairy spot
0: is for them too. And let me tell you, <laughs> the men that Sarah J. Mass writes would like the books that Sarah J. Mass writes. Hell yeah. Hell yeah.
1: On that note, let's dive into The Folk of the Air, which some of you might know more casually by the title of the first book, The Cruel Prince. It is a three book series, The Cruel Prince, The Wicked King, The Queen of Nothing, and it is all by Holly Black. It is as Natalie mentioned, a YA fantasy and I think Natalie's got some thoughts on kind of like the world of Folk of the Air.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a very different vibe than a lot of these big epic fantasies with this sweeping romance arc that have become really popular on book talk and bookstagram and such this world is a lot smaller more contained and so is the plot it's still great but i would say the main difference is that the cruel prince series is a lot more character driven than it is plot driven Mm -hmm. whereas crescent city is one of the most (laughs) plot driven books i have ever read in my life for those who aren't familiar with these terms a character driven plot implies that the plot moves forward as the character develops, whereas a plot-driven book, the character might develop but it's as a result of what's happening in the plot, not vice versa. So, in a character-driven book, for example, a character might have a realization that then causes something to happen in the plot, whereas the opposite would happen in a plot-driven book, like, you know, Bryce learned something because of something that she did and then, you know, the plot continues from there and she grows as a person as a character Mm -hmm. because of what happened because of what she did crescent city very frenetic very plot driven lots of stuff happening lots of discoveries happening and the characters do grow throughout but i would say they mostly stay pretty true to the way they were introduced whereas in the cruel prince i don't even i don't want to call it a coming of age story but it's our main character Jude starts the book as a seventeen-year-old or a sixteen-year-old girl, and they're still in high school, except not really because Jude lives in Fairyland, right? And Fairyland—it's a little bit different than in one of these epic worlds that's completely unlike Earth. This is on Earth. We are on Earth. Mm-hmm. It's in modern times. The first scene: Jude is eating fish sticks in her mom's house. She's as in a the child. mortal world. In the in prologue the mortal world, yeah. And fairyland is a place that exists kind of between the cracks of the mortal world. This is one thing I didn't wasn't obsessed with. It it's not really explained very well. It exists
1: alongside the mortal world, underneath.
0: I don't know what that really entirely means. Whatever that means, you know, go down an alley and there's somehow like a platform nine and three quarters situation where they just enter fairyland it's shrouded in mists know. of some sort yeah. perhaps exactly <laughs> ironic not really clear where exactly fairyland is but we're meant to believe it exists in tandem with our modern human world and, and you can pop main- back and forth you can
1: go back and forth like jude will pop into the mortal world and like
0: casually go to target jc penny but magic doesn't exist in the mortal world, and they're not, I mean, it can, but they're not aware. Humans in the mortal world are not aware that magic is real. It is the thing of fairy tales, and that is kind of central to the world building here. It's very much like if you were ever, I definitely did this as a kid, if you were ever, when you were a kid, building fairy houses and leaving them in the yard and leaving little treats to like hope in hopes of luring a fairy. It's kind of like the very whimsical. fairy tale, whimsical mushrooms and nature fairy vibe, rather than the intense bat wing shadow wielding fairy vibe. Right. It feels more traditional,
1: very traditional whimsical fairy tale. fairy tale. Yeah. And versus our other fairy worlds, which are kind of like fairies but brought into like the modern consciousness of
0: and they're a little like dystopian almost where like this is just like the world is existing as normal and fairyland just happens to also be there and functions as it always has very traditional like kingdom vibes so, so the scale and the scope are very different this feels a lot smaller more contained than an, a big epic like a sarah j mass book
1: yeah so the entire series is told from the first person mm-hmm. um from our homegirl girl jude jude P-O-V. jude duarte and she's immortal, living
0: in fairyland. Her sister, Taryn, is her twin, who's also obviously immortal as her twin. She also has another sister named Vivian, who's older. And she is half fairy, because their mother was, I don't know if they were ever married. They were, yeah. She and- Her mother was married, too, and had a child with a fairy man named Madoc or Madoc. Mm-hmm
1: again pronunciation inclusive however you want to say it
0: and she decided that she didn't like living in fairyland for whatever reason it's not entirely explained the reasons for her leaving but she does escape fairyland with her child vivian and meets a mortal man in the mortal world or actually no they meet in fairyland and they they run away together but they're two mortals two mortals run away together Mm -hmm. and then the two mortals have jude and Taryn. And the first scene of the book is actually Madoc or Madoc, I'm going to call him Madoc because that's how I read it in, in my brain, uh, appears at their front door and murders their mother and father in cold blood and then kidnaps them and brings them to fairyland and raises them as his own children. Right. And we
1: skip forward, I don't think, about 10 years, 10 years between the prologue and then chapter one. And so now we are catching up with Jude at 17. She's been in fairyland for the majority of her life now at this point. And she's, I'm not going to say well adjusted because she definitely has some shit that she's working through in these books, but she has managed to live for this past decade in fairyland and she is like, she can hug Madoc and be fine with it. She doesn't need to... She doesn't
0: look at him and immediately think that he's the murderer of her family, basically. <laughs> she definitely does think it, but not
1: always immediately, like, red-hot yeah, anger not, vibes. Yeah, that's not, like, her knee-jerk
0: response to it. Yeah, she's got, like, this...
1: A little bit of Stockholm Syndrome, potentially. She's just there, and this is her life, and this is what she knows. At school, we've got this little, this little like...
0: A little cabal mean, of bullies. Mean girl clique, honestly. Carden is the Regina George. Carden is certainly... We got the plastics of Fairyland. <laughs> Carden is Regina George. Or so we think. Right, right. The tw- The plot twist is that he's actually...
1: Doesn't hate her. He doesn't hate her as much as we originally think. And it's because we're seeing he it all through... He just has from- a
0: little bit of disdain for her. And it's more, I think, for... Him to remain at the kind of helm of this cabal of bullies than anything else. When you're reading it originally, like from the beginning,
1: and you read all these scenes where they're doing terrible things to her at school. It's not until later that you realize Cardin is only part of the bullying insofar as he's able to control Correct. the bullies around him and keep them like on a leash like but on he a bully never leash actually
0: does any like physical harm to jude himself
1: right he's really just making sure that nicasia nicasia
0: nicasia,
1: nicasia? I don't know. y'all God, why can we not at, at least, least i have... know how to
0: pronounce valerian because valerian that's a kind of t why well? can we
1: not just have like <laughs> why can we not just have a regina and a katie Heron? like why can we not have normal names
0: even Katie Heron, spelled C A D Y, becomes an issue in Mean Girls. So. True, true. And Locke. And Locke. Oh,
1: Locke. What a guy. <laughs> so, Cardin's real role here is keeping all of them in check. Mm-hmm. But he comes across like the head honcho of the bullies. Um,
0: and he's using that to his advantage.
1: He's using that position he's got of authority. Away with words.
0: And that's what kind of leaves him at the top of the food chain. He all, as well such as the fact that words. He is a prince. And the others. I mean Nicosia is a princess but she's the princess of the undersea and she's on land which is like so like yeah so the undersea is a little more minor I would say than this kingdom called Elfheim that that is the prince of but he's sixth in line for the throne he's the sixth child so he pretty much has no hopes of ever seeing the throne and so he's kind of like a he, he's a spoiled just like a nepo baby, almost. He
1: like he is such a nepo baby. That is, it's literally he's the definition of a nepo baby. Yeah, he's just all the benefits of being part of the royal family and absolutely zero responsibility, right. zero expectations. And we come to find out that he lives with his eldest brother who is really not very nice to him very sorely neglected as a child he did not have a great childhood and he realized the only way to get attention was to act out and be awful and essentially people didn't expect much of him anyway so he said cool i'm
0: gonna be worse
1: i'm gonna be even worse than they think um so if they think i'm lazy i'm gonna be lazier if they think i'm cruel i'm gonna be even meaner And that is why he leans into this persona. It's just this expectation people have of him. And he shrouds himself in that personality and then kind of like kicks
0: it up a notch.
1: Yeah. And that is the Cardin that we meet in the beginning of
0: The Cruel Prince. He grows substantially from there, but he never does really drop the honestly very charming like mean boy act he's very like if you've ever seen the show lucifer he has that same sort of just witty dry personality he's very wisecracking he's very witty his dialogue is so punchy it's excellent i i really really enjoyed carden as a character it makes the book honestly yeah and without him the book would not be anything really because jude love her to goddamn death but she's She's a mess she's a little bit (laughs) of a mess and you know she's got her moments with the banter but she takes everything very seriously which is fair she's had to as a mortal living in this magical land she's at a disadvantage every single day in every aspect of her life But Cardin brings a lightheartedness to everything that Jude just does not have. Especially when the stakes amp up. Because at the end of... It's basically the same plot three different times. But the stakes are a little bit higher every time. Mm -hmm. So Cruel Prince. It's originally Playground Games. This is leading into our what?
1: (laughs) Literally. Literally. Like, the plot in the beginning is just Jude and Taryn going to school and getting bullied. Like, that is... They're just trying to survive the day at school.
0: And, you know, standing up to their bully. And I think because of her feeling like she's been at a disadvantage and because she was taken to this place against her will as a child, Jude has developed this penchant and affinity for swordplay and self-defense. And she has this aspiration to be a knight because Madoc is the, the grand general of this kingdom. And the plot of the first book is essentially... The king of Elfheim has decided to abdicate the throne, and he's going to give the the crown to one of his children, and all six of the children are after the crown in their own way. All six of them are- Except for Cardin. Cardin, he doesn't care. Right. <laughs> all six are technically
1: eligible. Like, it doesn't necessarily go to the, the eldest. eldest. He
0: names his successor Correct. his children. But
1: it. everybody just knows Cardin is not going to get it, and Cardin knows that, and so it's really a competition between five-
0: And even then... It's really kind of a competition between two. Mm -hmm. Dane and and Bailkin. Bailkin. And the kind of call to action is when there's this summer tournament that Jude wants to partake in um, and try to become a knight, and her dad's like, no. And then she kind of competes just for funsies with no real stakes in the game, and her skill gets recognized because she stands up to Cardin and whatever. Dane comes to her and recruits her to be one of his spies. So he has this cabal of spies and... The Court of Shadows. The Court of Shadows. And so then she, you know, engages in in spying. And the very end of the book, the climax, is the coronation scene where we discover that uh, the spies have been misled. And Bailkin kills... Everyone, literally his on entire this, on the family. Stage. Everyone who's up
1: there on the throne, the king who's just to abdicated Eldred. his
0: crown. So there's no one left on stage, and you know the the caveat is, one of the people in the royal family has to be the one to do the crowning. So, so you need two. You need two. Ilkin kills everyone except for Cardin, who's too drunk to even be on the dais. Because he's
1: like, I'm not getting crowned anyway. And he's over it before it's even started. So he's like barely even coherent at this point. And he's not standing up there. Correct. He's like standing in a doorway somewhere, just kind of chilling, watching it all happen. And Jude is like, you should probably hide.
0: And then we come to find out that Jude's little brother, Oak, is also the king's son. So, there's actually two left. Uh, No one else knows that Oak is an heir to the throne, but there are all of these secret plots to get him crowned, and he's literally seven years old, so... Yeah. So, the
1: plot is really the crown. The plot is the crown. The plot is
0: just everyone vying for the crown, or vying for, you know, their decided party to have the crown. Right. So, Madoc, I'll go with your
1: pronunciation, because consistency sure consistency madoc works for dane the majority of this first book he works for dane he reports to dane essentially then balkin plans this coup and we find out that madoc has been secretly working with balkin on this coup so dane is the one who's expected to get the crown balkin challenges and tries to stage this coup Maddock is supposedly supporting Balkin, but then we find out that Maddox also wants I just switched pronunciations it's so again. Maddox also a pronunciation safe zone. <laughs> he also wants the crown for himself. So like even though he was performatively supporting Balkin, he really wants to get Oak on the throne so, so that, that he can, can be the regent, regent. Mm-hmm. and and control Elfame. Oak doesn't want to be king. He's seven. And then and then Cardin also doesn't want to be king. And Yet, what do we, where do we end up at the end of this first book? But with Jude essentially tricking Carden into thinking that they're going to crown Oak, but then really Oak crowns Carden and Carden is essentially tied to Jude so she can command him for a year and a day.
0: Yeah, because there's in this book, um, as in Sarah J. Mass's book, these are just common fairy, this common fairy lore of bargain making fairies can't lie fairy fruit and wine is like super potent and intoxicating in fairies can compel their will onto mortals right so two key things here one when jude pledges herself as a spy to dane she does so under this bargain called a, a geese or a geus i don't know how to pronounce it <laughs> where she says i will do this for you if we make a bargain no one can command me no fairy can compel me i'm Mm -hmm. immune to fairy charms and the one caveat is that she's immune to all fairy charms except for his but then he dies right then he ends up just nixed (laughs) out of here at the
1: end of the first book so and she gets to keep this immunity it doesn't end with him
0: expiring (laughs) yeah so he dies and she gets to keep the immunity to compulsion but she also makes a deal with Cardin after she cap she captures him essentially at the coronation when everyone's getting murdered. And he pledges himself to her under her command for one year and one day. And then we enter the Wicked King where Cardin is the king. Jude's the one running the show. Jude's running the show. She's his senes- seneschal. So she's his like royal advisor. But then little does everyone know she actually has the power to command him and puppeteer him to do Whatever she wants. So we've gone from like one book to the
1: next. We make a very big jump from like playground games to, to now real ruling
0: the entire kingdom. Yeah. Big kingdom wide politics. And now there's like real obviously stakes on the line. And she's five months into this year and a day bargain. She's like how. Oh and also she's sent Oak to live with Vivian in the mortal world. Right. She's like he needs to, to have a normal so he can grow
1: up. A normal childhood so that when he comes to rule, he won't have all of these silly preconceived notions about mortals being trash. Right. She wants him to live in the mortal world so that he has perspective.
0: Yeah, the one thing Jude has on her side as a mortal is that she can lie. The whole reason she became a spy. Is because she can lie and other fairies, fairies can't lie. Judas trying to figure out how she can get Cardin to
1: allow her to continue right. commanding him past a year and a day because she needs him to sit on the throne until Oak is of age to take the crown and rule without a regent. And essentially, by the very end of Wicked King, Cardin says, release me from this situation we got going on where, like, the command, like, between us, like, your command over me, he says to her, like, let's release that. And instead, I need to be able to act as my own person. You need security and control in addition to that. And I trust you. And I trust you. So he goes,
0: marry me. I f- almost fell over. That was. And because they can make bargains, the marriage is kind of like a bargain where they don't need anyone to officiate it. They just. just so they vow just- to each other in the bedroom. So they just it. get married. And so now suddenly Jude is the queen, queen of-, of fairyland. <laughs> and she's
1: a human. She's a mortal human queen she's of fairy. She's also 18 years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just like pause for a second and talk about their romance dynamic because people are always like, oh, this is enemies to lovers. No. They, they, okay, it's a bully. It's a bully romance, to be quite honest. It's a bully romance. And as such, they never really get over the slight animosity bully dynamic between the two of them they kind of enjoy it it's their safe space they
0: push each other's buttons
1: and they like it and Jude makes specific like comments in her mind where she like Carden will say something nice to her or something that's not a bullying comment and she's like I don't know how to take that and then he'll like tack on Another like phrase at the end of the sentence that like makes it clear that he's still antagonizing her and she's like, Oh, much better. <laughs> and it's made even more interesting because Carden can't lie. And so like the, So he gets very tricky with his words. Right. It's like evasive language.
0: Yes. It's so it's good. Really
1: fun. It's so good. Like when he tells her, Have I told you how hideous you look tonight? And then she goes, No, tell me. And he goes, I cannot. Because it's <laughs> his way of telling her that she looks good, that she's unless she looks pretty. But he wasn't going to say it straight out because that would be boring. And Carden
0: does nothing if not add some spice to our lives. Oh, yeah. He's very over the top and ostentatious in every way from the way he dresses to the way he speaks. And we live for it. Lots of ruffles, lots of feathers, lots of lots of jewelry, mm-hmm.
1: lots of rings, and a tail.
0: And a tail. And the a tail. The tail really took me out of it. I'm not going to lie to you.
1: <laughs> I will say, I feel like I forgot a lot of the descriptions of how these characters looked. Like... Jude would describe them the tint of their skin like whatever kind of animalian features they might have had just it went in one ear out the other Mm -hmm. they are defined by their personalities more than by their appearances in my opinion
0: so at the end of the wicked king they are married she's queen and they're settling the treaty with the undersea but they're mad at her for killing Balkin, and so as punishment for Mm -hmm. killing Balkin, Cardin exiles jude but he has some very interesting language where he says that she can she's in exile until pardoned by the crown but jude doesn't connect the dots that she's now the crown
1: she literally is queen of fairy and so she as much as he is the crown she is the crown
0: yeah so they have this tender moment where they're like married and they're like they profess their feelings to each other and then he exiles her and she's like what the fuck And she's like, it was all a trick. I have been
1: such a fool. So she goes back to the mortal lands, like the beginning of Queen of Nothing. She's literally the queen of nothing. She's like trying to just eke out a living in the normal human world. And she is like does not know what to do with herself yes
0: and then Taryn her twin comes back and is like I killed my husband and I'm pregnant and I need you <laughs> to go so messy back to the mortal world or back to Fairyland and pretend to be me and get me out of this little messeroo because I'm about to be on trial for killing my husband right
1: and Jude can't be compelled so they can't force her to tell the truth
0: exactly so she can lie and she has to go she pretends to be her sister and and Cardin immediately knows that it's Jude. Of course, because it wouldn't be a good romance if he didn't immediately recognize his woman. And it's like a whole thing because in the last book, he when he was under all of the drugs that Balkan gave him, he thought that Taryn was Jude and she had like kind of betrayed them a little bit. It was a whole mess. And then in this book Uh, he knows her immediately he's like why did why didn't you come back you dumbass and she's (laughs) like you exiled me what are you talking about and then she gets kidnapped by her dad
1: right because he thinks he's coming to save
0: Taryn. he's like let's get her out of the clutches
1: of this king
0: and then we get a couple of scenes where she's like trying to suss out what he's planning because he's a little scheming schemer he's
1: still trying to go after the crown too so like belkin's out of the picture but Maddock is still like gunning for the crown he's mm-hmm. taken half the army and he's like recruiting some of the smaller courts and is trying to like rally their troops to support him so she's like undercover as taron at this point
0: yes and then eventually carden himself the high king he comes to rescue her and she's like that was silly of you to do
1: right she's like why are you here
0: and he's like why would i not be here she's like for many many reasons you should not be here right first of all for your safety second of all don't you hate my ass and he's like you're such an idiot because (laughs) i literally said pardoned by the crown you could have come back any time you're and he's the like queen what then, do you mean and she's like oh i was the idiot the whole time fuck and <laughs> he's like didn't you get my
1: letters and she's like what letters he's like i literally begged you to come home
0: and so yeah throughout queen of nothing then it's that's about halfway through the book and then they're just figuring out how to defeat madoc from there and keep the plan on because he is really attempting to use this blacksmith guy named Grimson to make a new crown so that he can be the king and take them down with his armies, whole nine. But at the end of the book... Some crazy pretty shit crazy happens. crazy ending. This whole book, uh, this whole series, there wasn't really a lot of magic. Right. It's the magic more just is... just like curses and mm-hmm. bargains and fairy wine but there wasn't really any like magic magic in the way there was, was no, no elemental magic J. Mass's right. characters are like magic with elements or shadows or whatever and Cardin has
1: Cardin has one moment in the wicked king at the very where, end of the book
0: yeah he is they're having the show, showdown face off with the undersea and he just like uses his apparently the king is connected He's to the land tied or something. to the land
1: he like makes the ocean start to boil he creates an entirely new island like he does some crazy crazy shit but that is like the biggest show of magic that there has been up until that point and then until we get to like a second version of his magic coming through in the queen of nothing
0: and it's not just his magic it's the the crown's magic Mm -hmm. so now that jude is queen she gets like mortally wounded because her dad stabs her through the side and she like draws on stitched up and with with dirt inside and they like pack
1: some dirt onto the wound and the land will heal you and And it it literally does and
0: it does then you know towards the end of the book we get a really big showing of magic because there's the face off with with madoc And he appears at the palace and Cardin is like, I'm going to just, let's let the people choose who they want to be, (laughs) the king. Everyone who wants me to be king say I. Then when people have pledged themselves to him, he snaps the crown in half.
1: Yeah. He's like, this crown is tied to my family line and they've said I was going to be the end of the crown. They said I would ruin everything. So we might as well just smash
0: it. Yeah. So he's splits the crown in half and then there's a big earthquake through the room and the throne also splits in half and then he turns into a giant snake. That was so unserious. Yeah it was very silly because the forger blacksmith guy made this crown for his family line and he curses all of his objects Mm -hmm. so whoever breaks the crown is cursed. Everything he
1: makes is magic in some way but the flip side of that is if you fuck with it you end up cursed whether it's a pair of earrings or a sword or a crown like Grimson just like finds joy in messing with people and cursing them unbeknownst to them at all when they accept these objects
0: but all is not lost they like track down the snake and there was a moment before this where Cardin is like Jude I trust you and I know that if I became a bad king like they said that I would you would put an end to it you would stop me And now he's a snake and is attacking everyone except for Jude. And she's like, I guess I have to kill the snake. Like he's already gone. And so when she kills the snake and there's another part of the prophecy where like it says that only a great king can only rise when the blood of the crown is spilled or something. And she kills the snake and who pops out of the snake carcass but naked Carden. Yeah, just butt ass naked Carden walks out, just
1: struts out. And it's like, oh man, thank God I'm out of that thing. So we've got Carden and Jude just...
0: They're on the throne. Everything's fine. Oak is still chilling in the mortal world for now. Right.
1: We're going to be reading The Stolen Heir and then The Prisoner's Throne next, which is Oak's part of the story. So we're about to pop Time forward jump. another 10 years to when Oak is 17 and see how this story unfolds for him when he comes back and takes, takes the throne for himself.
0: Besides... Being driven by different people wanting the crown and managing all of the hijinks that went <laughs> on there. The central piece of the plot was Jude and Cardin's romance and learning to hate and love each other simultaneously. So good. And it was really great. I loved their banter. I liked the progression. My one issue is I really couldn't fully get my head around the hatred. And also, there's that moment where, gosh, who is it who tells
1: Jude that falling in love it, or the feeling of love is a lot like the feeling of fear? And so I think she doesn't even, like, realize. Like, she's scared of him because yeah, he bullies they say her. that a lot. And so she doesn't even really fully realize that she's – that she kind of likes him because she's just scared in general. She doesn't realize that there's a difference between being scared of him and being scared of, like, this feeling of attraction, Which is so interesting because the whole thing is from her POV. You're inside her head and she's, she's an interest. Her head is an interesting place to be. She, her reactions to what's going on around her, whether it's other people's reactions to the world and how she kind of like perceives them or the things that happen are just so hilarious. Like it's, she just does not have the same normal reactions you would expect someone else to have
0: like i was saying earlier it's it's hard to tell whether it's just like oh she just takes everything really seriously because things are very serious for her the odds are stacked against her in every way Mm -hmm. and she's very ambitious she wants to prove that she has value in this world where people don't value mortals and in fact a lot of people a lot of the fairies will like have mortals be slaves for them and they glamour them and make bargains with them to do their bidding unbeknownst to the mortals even while they're doing it but it's hard to tell whether it's a result of this severity and the seriousness of the stakes for jude that make her so rigid or whether she just like genuinely lacks a little bit of humanity in kind (laughs) of a way like She's not sociopathic. she cares a lot about the people in her life. She does have right by them. Yeah, but and she, she does also, have emotions. She just pushes them down
1: and only really uses her like anger and hatred as fuel.
0: Yeah, exactly. every all of her decisions, everything that she does is really, really driven by like vengeance almost. yeah. And I, that makes her persona and her reactions to things that other people say or do pretty silly like she reacts very seriously to everything
1: yeah and i think another thing we were talking about too is like why does Cardin hate
0: her so much up front like it's like why does he feel the need to bully her and she cannot for the life of her understand why he would be scared of her because he tells her that she's terrifying and we know he can't <laughs> lie <laughs> i think she's terrifying for more reasons than one to him, but definitely like her seriousness would show on her face and the fact that she like just kills people sometimes and is like a spy and is really cunning yeah she's wild like it scares him and she as a mortal who feels like she's been uh, underestimated her whole life she's way has a lot of trouble reconciling that she's actually a force and she-
1: cardin cardin also tells her like he was jealous that she had a family in Maddock and her sisters that cared for her in like maybe in a fucked up way because obviously Maddox killed her actual parents but you know right, a tomato, tomato
0: in this sense like I get that his hate for her originally was driven by jealousy jealousy of he's like I'm a prince and my dad ousted me from my own house and I had to live with my abusive brother who beat me up all and, the time. Yeah, and all of his
1: other siblings were also either mean to him or like didn't care about him. His mom didn't care about him. Everybody just kind of yeah, shunned him. No
0: one cared about him. And yet Jude over here is like a worthless mortal who has somehow attained the love of a fae man who killed her parents. Yeah, the Grand
1: General like takes it as his, like takes her under his protection with Taryn and essentially just is like, well, they're they're my my children to take care of now. He just accepts them into his household. So I think
0: Carden holds a little bit of a grudge against her for for that. Which is like, yeah, the root of the bullying
1: and the fact that she's just human. The fact that she's human is what drives other people around her to bully her.
0: And the fact that he thinks she's sexy also bothers him because he hates her. Oh my god. But he's also, he hates that he wants her also. Right. Which is just... And she doesn't, she has trouble reconciling herself as attractive too because she's like grown up being mortal swine in this world. So she underestimates her appearance and she underestimates her abilities and that make it very hard for her to understand when someone else is coming at her with genuine feelings. Also just some of the, when Cardin tells her, like some of the things
1: that he says, I think of you often, it's disgusting. Put me on a stretcher. I passed away. (laughs) passed away so good and just the way that he says these things to her like he does it pains him to admit that he's attracted to her it's it's so toxic i would not want to be jude in any stretch of the imagination but reading it wow it really does something to you
0: should we chat through jude and carden versus our main i guess if you even want to call it a romance in book of night
1: (laughs) Yes, so Jude and Cardin bully enemy vibes in the beginning. They end up married, but they always kind of keep this bit going of antagonizing I hate each you, other. I love
0: you kind of thing.
1: It's so good. Then you do a little pivot. You go into Holly's newer book, more adult book called Book of Night. And our main girl, Charlie, you enter into her world, and she is dating this really just like Joe Schmo of a guy. Named Vince.
0: Yeah, he's very... uh, John Smith, um, Jane Doe... John Doe, all of the... Literally, like, most basic, bland, boring guy ever. But has a little bit of an interesting vibe because he's... The plot of this book is driven by there are people who can manipulate their shadows with magic. That is the only magic, really, in this book. the only magic in this book, and this guy that she's with has no shadow and there's some people that don't have a shadow anymore because it was either stolen from them or you know they cut it off i don't know somehow and this guy doesn't have one and it's a little unnatural and off-putting and he also his job is to clean up murder scenes and he works under the table so
1: right and we're referring to him as a joe Schmo of a guy so just this is the baseline okay um And so he doesn't have this shadow and when you don't have a shadow people look at you a little different They're like there's something missing from there's something missing from you literally the shadow So there must be something missing from your soul. There's like a screw loose a screw missing, you know Just everyone's a little wary, but charlie our homegirl in book of
0: night. is like, eh, he's fine Yeah, she's a little she's a little broken and so she kind of can look past his shadowlessness. Right. She's like, he's just a good steady guy. Like he pays his third of the
1: rent and he, he drives
0: to work in his white van and then he comes home in his white van and, and he that's gets it.
1: the groceries and he like cleans the gutters and he just does normal relationship type things. And she's like, you know, Word. I appreciate <laughs> that.
0: Uh, i also appreciated this book takes place in western massachusetts which i grew up in massachusetts so i was very familiar with the setting and the dunkin donuts of it all in this book (laughs) but it also did take me out of the story a little bit because i know some of the some of the towns that she mentions are real places and it's a little silly to think about like nine million dollar estate existing in west springfield massachusetts (laughs) um springfield massachusetts is very crime ridden so it was a little silly to think about which like makes sense because charlie's
1: a con artist but doesn't make sense for the big sprawling mansion
0: right there's like a, a guy who's a rich guy and he has a big sprawling mansion and he's obsessed with shadows and whatever and that becomes something down the line um, but really what we wanted to dive into here is the the difference in the romances between these two books. One, obviously being a kind of rivals to lovers slash bully trope, um, grow-as-you-go situation. Whereas in this book, it's kind of the other way around. They're, like, in a very boring blah-vanilla relationship. And then... Right. Charlie discovers that he actually has a secret that goes along with his shadow not being there. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she's like, wait, actually, I like him. Right. He, t- <laughs> he takes off because once she starts
1: realizing his real identity and starts piecing things together, um, he's like, It's so much worse than you think. He's like, you don't even know the half of it and it is so much worse. And for your own safety, I'm going to leave. And only after he's gone to Natalie's point, then she's like, wait, I miss him. I want him back. Um, And thus she goes off on this entire journey to figure out what the hell is going on and looks for this object called the Book of Night. Um, So it's really it's really just one big mystery kind of thriller for her and
0: there's lots of flashbacks to the past um between her and between the guy whose name is Vince
1: who is also known as Remy or so we
0: think there's a whole thing of like there's this guy who looks exactly like Vince and she's like oh it is Vince and it's the grandson of the rich guy but he died in a like car bombing situation like a year ago. So she's like, then who the fuck is this? And it's a whole thing. Right. So this, this rich guy who's obsessed with shadows, he stole
1: someone's shadow. He has a stolen shadow and he's not a good dude. So like he's got Mm -mm. this big sprawling mansion, but again, like it's, he's not on the up and up. So he's got all of this that he has is just gotten from crime and stealing and embezzlement and whatever the hell he does. And
0: And, uh, Charlie knows that he's a bad guy because she she had a a run-in with him him as a child when she was was younger.
1: And so this guy's grandson is, is dead. But then Charlie finds this dead guy's ID in Vince's duffel bag. And the picture is there. Like, it's Vince on this ID with the dead kid's name. And she's like, how did he fake his own death? From a different state, too. From a different state. So we come to find out. At the very, very end, he did not, in fact, fake his death. He's dead. He's dead dead. But at the very end of his life, as the blood is spilling out of him, he allowed his blood to spill onto his shadow. Because you feed your shadow with
0: blood. Yeah. And so
1: he got this massive infusion of blood and then this, like, breath of life, which was literally the dead guy's, like, last breath he breathed into his shadow. And so... Remy, who's the actual human who dies, infuses Red, his shadow, with so much of his own essence that Red becomes human passing. And that is who Charlie's been dating this whole damn day shadow of a person. She's been dating this shadow and... Any shadow that is not attached to a human is referred to as a blight. And they are re- they are like animalistic and dangerous and hunted.
0: They're thought of as bad because a lot of people will feed their shadow with negative emotions like mm. fear and anger and hate. The things they don't want to keep in their own brain. Right. They'll and dump into the shadow. That was the case with, with Vince, with Red and Remy. Um, Red was all of the worst parts of Remy or so he thought. But I guess like when Remy gave him his breath of life he kind of gained a little bit of humanity and he does actually yeah seem to care about charlie and he
1: lost his memories right so like after the whole breath of life thing happened he just like wakes up under a freeway underpass this shadow or this human passing shadow who is now assumed the name of vince instead of red and he just like goes about life with no social security number no nothing traceable so he's got to have this like very kind of like off the book's existence, but he's dating Charlie and he's just a normal dude for as far as we can tell um, until the very end when we get the entire story of who he actually is. And by the very, very, very end, the big reveal scene, like if we're used to big battle scenes with Sarah J Mass and like these big epics, in this book, it's more of a big reveal because it's a mystery and it's who's playing who and you don't know who's winning until like they're 10 steps ahead. So Charlie's trying to one-up this millionaire rich dude and they're kind of jockeying back and forth and then eventually Vince, Red, The Shadow, he's like about to die. They're having this big reveal, he's about to die and Charlie like pulls him back from like incinerating himself. So now you've got this, he's still here, you've got this blight, everybody knows what he is and they're like, he can't be allowed to continue existing. He's got to be tied to someone. And whenever a blight is tied to someone, they're going to like punish them by making them go out and hunt other blights, which is like killing your own kind. It's kind of brutal. And so Charlie goes, well, I don't want to be separated from him. Like, don't take him away from me. And the very, very end of the book, Charlie's like, you know, there's one solution to this. There's one good way to not be separated. And it is for you, you, Vince, you shadow blight. To be attached to me.
0: And she's already cut her own shadow off. Yeah. First, because you can't be controlled if you don't have a shadow.
1: So now she's literally connected to Vince. She's connected
0: to Vince and he's, once he's connected to her, he loses all of his memories and he's in a very angered state <laughs> he's like who are you and
1: she's like i'm your girlfriend he's like mm, that's not ringing any bells yeah and that's where it ends that's where the book leaves off and there is supposedly Allegedly,
0: it's going to be a duology
1: which thank god because like i need to know how how charlie is gonna get vince to love her again while they have to go hunt all these blights like that's brutal work to try and get your shadow to fall in love with you wow
0: I'm interested to see what Holly Black does with that book because this book did not really do it for me, to be so very for real. Um, it, I did not like the execution of the flashbacks to the past. I didn't think they added anything to- you could have just not read them and it wouldn't have made a difference, except for the ones with Remy, those kind of made a difference. And I didn't really feel any sort of way about any of the characters. Except for Vince, I liked Vince, loved Vince. He was, and the fact that he was a shadow like made him a little more complex. Although it was like, how did he gain humanity? Really, if he's supposed to be this thing filled with hatred and fear and anger, I I liked his sort of story. I liked the concept of a sh- an autonomous shadow. I but think- I just couldn't really get myself to care that much about Charlie or believe in her con ability because by the time we start the book she's like retired from the game of conning and she's just a bartender and it's very hard to wrap your brain around her being this like con mastermind until she's like suddenly cracking locks and putting clues together that you're like wait what what i think became very
1: obvious reading book of night is that holly black has a specific type of female main character that she likes to write about yeah they're like very jaded probably very, you know, very angry in, you know, at something, someone, their circumstances, whatever it is. And again, similar to Jude, her, like Charlie's reactions to things are really not normal. Like she walks into an apartment, sees a dead body and is like, fuck, now I got to get the couch cleaned, which honestly made me laugh. Like yeah, I, I did enjoy, um, I did cackle out loud. Um, but it's, it's a very specific type of female main character, and Charlie's 28, so she's, Jude, 10 years older, really, mm-hmm. with more life experience and just a little more rough and tumble.
0: I also think it's interesting putting these two side by side because The Cruel Prince is supposed to be a YA series and Book of Night is supposed to be an adult series, but in truth indistinguishable the only difference is
1: that there are a few swear words in book of night honestly
0: there's no smut in book of night there's some fade to black scenes where it's like implied that they had sex and same that's way it. with jude
1: and Cardin though
0: yeah there's a there is a scene in queen of nothing where they're both literally naked and they just skip over the graphic parts but they like it's literally a sex scene i don't know it was just like the prose wasn't any more complex or interesting there weren't any more crazy themes to put together it was just and I th- I think it brings up a bigger conversation of like what is a YA book why do we feel the need to classify books this way I feel like YA in the adult community is thought of as like lesser mm-hmm. where these books were equally difficult to read there was nothing really distinguishing them apart literary wise Same thing as kind of I was talking about earlier, put things in this box that makes it even more unserious to the general public. Like somehow it's morally superior or more productive to read something classified as adult like Book of Night versus reading The Cruel Prince, where in reality, The Cruel Prince is a better series, in my opinion. And like same with Sarah J. Maas
1: too, right? Like Throne of Glass starts as YA, YA
0: and Crescent City is adult. And the only difference, really, is that Crescent City has a couple of smut scenes.
1: Yeah. And even the first book has, like, a half a smut scene. Half a smut
0: scene. If that. Girl, we don't get a real smut scene in Crescent City until, like, 1,200 pages into the series. <laughs> it's pretty nuts.
1: Sarah made us work for that. hmm So, speaking of Sarah J. Maas and Holly Black, I think there's an interesting connection to be made between Jude from The Cruel Prince and Nesta both of them under similar circumstances plucked from their homes from the mortal world from human society taken into magical fairyland obviously jude remains a human and nesta gets dunked in the cauldron but they both have to grapple with now kind of being the on the outside looking in in a world that is relatively inhospitable to their kind just like generally doesn't like them um, and their coping mechanisms are honestly pretty pretty similar. Like, Nesta lashes out. Jude is fueled by anger. Nesta goes into the cauldron and her response is to grab a piece of its power. Jude is motivated by power. So if you're a Nesta girly and you're like, I don't like Jude. I find her annoying. Just, like, pause for a minute. Just pause for a minute and maybe, like, reconsider. And then Charlie from Book of Night reminds me more of a Bryce. She's a little reckless, very and also 10 years older you know like she's just got more life experience under her belt and she's a little bit sassy and just kind of like uses her personality and people underestimating her to go after what she wants she wants people to think that she's weaker than she is She wants to use banter to kind of like get information without people knowing that she's getting information. Um, She's kind of sneaky and plays on her vulnerabilities to make people not find her as threatening as she really is.
0: Yeah, I think to me the main difference between Charlie and Bryce is that Bryce has this kind of warmth and charisma that... I don't think we get from Charlie. I think Charlie is a lot more, I mean, granted, like the world that Charlie's in, the real world is a lot grittier at times than Crescent City can be, but I think that she just kind of lacks that kind of like je ne sais quoi that Bryce has (laughs) at times like charlie understands the the consequences of her actions i think in advance a lot more than bryce does bryce just kind of does stuff and figures it out later Mm -hmm. whereas charlie's a lot more calculated about her recklessness like she knows she has to be reckless to get certain things done but it's to an end that she understands is coming whereas bryce just kind of fucks around and finds out well said very
1: well said with that being said, as much as we have some kind of unresolved thoughts about whether we like Charlie or what we think of the world in Book of Night, we are both very excited to see where this goes in the duology yeah. and like what could come out of this Charlie and Vince being connected situation. Like our cast of characters not only have a lot of them been eliminated, like our literal two main characters have been combined. Mm-hmm. And that's just insane.
0: Yeah, you can't do that without... Without it being a person in a shadow kind of situation. Yeah,
1: that was that was really wild. So
0: that'll be interesting. I'm excited to see what Holly Black does with that. But before we get to that next book, which I think probably won't be out for another year or so. I
1: don't even think there's a release date for there's it.
0: There's no release date. It's been announced and confirmed that it's a, it's a duology. There's a second book that it, it hasn't been written or announced release-wise yet. Because... Holly Black is releasing the second book mm-hmm. in the Stolen Air duology, which takes place in the same world as Folk of the Air. It's Oak's story. So the first book, The Stolen Air, came out last year. And the second book, The Prisoner's Throne, I think, yep. is coming out on March 5th of this year. So our next episode, we'll be diving into that duology and concluding our, because that's get, that'll be the end of that that'll be the it theology. for elfame that'll with be us. it for elfame so
1: minus the love letters we got to go find those love letters yeah
0: we'll we'll come back to those next episode too
1: overall we're like in our holly black era at the moment and we hope that you'll join join us along if you've read the folk of the air whether you've only read the first book or you've read the whole series and you're like let's keep this train going join us read the stolen air and then the prisoner's Throne with us tune back into our next episode where we'll talk all about that duology and that'll conclude our Holly Black era for yeah. the moment.
0: If you have any questions, comments, concerns, etc. about your own experience with reading Holly Black's repertoire, please shoot us an email to gmail.com or a DM on Instagram or TikTok
1: at the download. On
0: both of those platforms.
1: Come follow us. We post little snippets of our podcasts um on there and some other fun content so you can follow along um, and get little little moments from the episode and um otherwise bye